All right, well, thank you, Ron. Um, let, me, let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, where we get to again gather um, anew together, Lord, and, and, and lift you up to magnify your name, Lord. In you, Lord, we move and we have our being, Lord. You direct our, our steps, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that this morning, Lord, that as we look into your word, Lord, that you you open our hearts, you open our minds, Lord, and, and you convict us. You, you help us to see a clearer picture of you, Lord, for that is why we, we look into your word, Lord. That is why we seek you in prayer, Lord, to, to, to know you better, to know your heart, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for, for, for the opportunity this morning to, to look at your word. Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for who you are. And it's in your most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so th- this morning, we're, uh, I'd like to be in, in Genesis chapter 4. Um, so you have your Bible or, or device. You can open there. Um, but I'll give you a little bit of uh, a reason as to why you know I, I chose to go here. And I guess, I mean, you could say it's, Purely selfish for me to want to choose to go here, but th- this has been a story that that you know I, I've known about, I, I've heard about, you know we've heard it said and you know heard it taught on or, or at least shared in like Sunday school to some extent, uh, but it's been my experience with it where I've never really you know I've never really gone anything past that, um, I've never really actually like gone back to the story of Cain and, and Abel Genesis chapter four and really kind of like taken a deeper look at it. Um, and so that's kind of part of uh, the point here that at the beginning we'll mention and then we'll just leave it there. But the, the practice of going back to some of these stories that, that we've heard so many times and actually looking into the text, taking a, taking a deeper look and kind of sort of rekindling anew the joy uh, of studying scripture, of knowing God better, of, of having joy in his word. <clears throat> so that's, the, that's the, the message or sermon before we actually get to, to where we're going this morning. But so let, let's, let's look uh, at Genesis chapter 4 here and, uh, and read it and we'll take a deeper look into it. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, 
What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And the then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then we get a genealogy of Cain for seven generations. And then we get to the, uh, a man named Lamech. And Lamech says this, he recites this poem to his wives. And he says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Verse 23, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Then Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son called, called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was a son born, and he called his name Enosh. At this time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So I think, you know, in order to have a bit of a clearer look into Genesis 4, story of Cain and Abel and, and Lamech here, I think we kind of need, need to take a few steps back and look at the chapters preceding this. Um, in chapter, chapter 3, primarily chapter 3. Um, so let me give you a quick summary. So in chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve, right? God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they're deceived by the serpent into, into sinning against God, right? They, they think God is, hold, is withholding something from them, right? Something that God owes them. They think he's withholding from them. And this, they think that if they had this something, then they're going to have power to be like God, to take the place of God, right? <clears throat> so then the curse of sin sets in. Right? And however, hope actually is given. In Genesis 3.15, we're reminded of a seed that's going to come from the woman, Eve, who's going to crush the head of the serpent in evil. Right? So these are the events preceding chapter 4. So in the larger scope, you know, kind of comparing like Genesis 3, Genesis 4, story of Adam and Eve, story of Cain and Abel, there's really kind of a, a lot of similarities, and we'll kind of go through it, and I'll kind of point some of those out for you. But they really kind of function similarly, similar form, right? Genesis 3 is the story of how sin, of how evil enters into the world. And then in a similar way, Genesis 4 is really kind of about the aftermath of that sin, of how it takes root in humanity, how we see it take root in, in, in a man named Cain's life in Lamech, right? What happens when sin ingrains itself in a person? That's what Genesis 4 is the answer. And another way we could say that if Genesis 3 is the, is the story of sin's entrance into the world, then Genesis 4 is the story of how sin 
how, really how humanity becomes a slave to sin. I know that's a wonderful story to, to tell <laughs> Thursday morning. <clears throat> but let, 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 let's look at it. So Adam and Eve, they have two boys, right? Cain, the oldest, who's a gardener, and then Abel, the younger, who is a shepherd, is a keeper of sheep. So Cain's name, there's something important about, about each of their names here. Cain's name in the Hebrew sounds like the word gotten or gained, right? So whenever Eve says, I have gained a man with the help of the Lord, that gain there, that sounds similar to Cain's name in Hebrew. Some commentators will say that like Eve actually names Cain this because she wants the Lord to be with him in his life, right? And it's, as a reminder, like it's there in his name, Cain, the Lord is with you. <clears throat> and so let's think about this. So let's remember the, the promise, right, or, or the hope that's given in Genesis 3.15. I'll quote it here for you. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and, he, and you shall bruise his heel. So it could be a thought in Adam and Eve's mind, and, and might very possibly would be a thought in our mind if we were reading this anew, having read the story, you know, consecutively, Genesis 1, 2, 3, here and 4, that Cain actually could be the person who's going to, to fix this, who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to, to end evil, right? And obviously, like we know, that, that I mean, Cain falls utterly short of that, and, you know, you know, story goes on, we learn about Jesus who actually does this, fulfilled this, God's son comes and does that. But that, just, I share that with you just, just to put like, this could be the potential expectation that's put on Cain as the firstborn, right, in light of the events that happen in Genesis 3. So then we get to Abel. So Abel, his name, actually in the Hebrew, his name actually means vanity, right? If we've ever read Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity of vanity, everything is vanity, right? That's the word, the Hebrew word there is hebel, right? Psalm 144, 4 says, man is like a breath. Man is hebel, it's vanity. His days are like a passing shadow. And that really kind of sounds, I mean, a little bit like Cain's life, right? It's cut short, right? And Abel's name, it kind of alludes to the shortness of his life and quite possibly to the vanity of Cain's actions and actually killing him. So these are our, our main human characters here in the opening act of Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. And they actually go, they give, so that we're told that they give offerings to God, right? That was practice that they, that they were doing at the time, bringing offering uh, to God. And actually, Abel's offering is favored, he and his offering is favored over Cain. And that leads us to ask the question, you know, why? Why did God, why did God favor Abel and not Cain? What, 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 what's the story behind that? And I actually, before studying this and really kind of looking into it and digging into it, I really didn't have a, a really a good answer, right? I mean, for years I'd wondered, right? The story's kind of like, kind of, you know, welled up in my mind over the course of, you know, the past couple of years. And I've really thought, like, why, like, like, why did Cain, you know, why was he rejected and why was Abel accepted? And there, there's five views. Gordon Wenham in his commentary on Genesis, he kind of lays out these, these five different views here. And the first one we'll probably laugh at. It's not it, don't worry. But the first one is God prefers shepherds 
to gardeners, right? Seems unlikely since, you know, God actually tells Adam in Genesis 2.15 um, to, to go into work and keep the ground. Uh, also, this is just kind of untrue about God, right? Isn't it? Like God doesn't prefer us based off of our profession or what our job is. Right, so not the first one. Second one is animal sacrifice is more acceptable than vegetable offerings, right? I mean, this, I mean, Mike could say that, but not really because, you know, this seems unlikely because when God gives the law, he actually institutes grain offerings, right? So those have value, right? And just because, you know, you know animal sacrifice is kind of seen as like, you know, forgiveness of sin, you know, you know, death has to happen in order for there to be forgiveness of sin. Just because, I mean, that's kind of a little bit more value doesn't take any value away from grain offerings that God put in place for a reason. So it can't be the first two. The third one is God mo- God's motives are inscrutable. His preference for Abel's sacrifice reflects the mystery of divine election. So, th- I mean, this kind of is a, a little bit of a theme in, in Genesis, however you want to interpret it. But God, you know, it does seem to kind of be a theme over and over again to prefer the younger child over the, over chi- uh, over the older child. And that's, you know, God kind of going against a lot of like the, the norms there of like older preference. Let's forget about the younger kids. And we see it over and over again. Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau kind of Judah, mostly Joseph over the older brothers. Um, it's a theme in Genesis. However, there, there's a few things that kind of allude to a more clear reason that's going on here. <clears throat> Fourth one, inspired by Hebrews 11.4, says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So some commentators will take this and they'll suggest that it's different motives of the two brothers known only to God that accounts for the different treatment, right? So motives known only to God. And then the fifth one, it is a difference in approach to worship that counted and that this was reflected in the quality of their gifts, reflected in the quality of their offerings. So the, the last two approaches really kind of it, may, it, it addresses the issue in the text, and it says, this is a heart problem with Cain. It's, it's in his approach to, to, to God, right? He brings some, some produce of the land, right? While Abel, and it's just some produce, right? We're not really told about the quality of it. While Abel, he's bringing the best of his flock and its fat portions, right? The actions of each brother reveals a deeper disposition of their heart towards God, right? So let's talk about their two offerings, right? So Abel, we said he he brings the best he possibly can to God. He brings the firstborn of his flock with the fat portions. That sounds a little weird. We might think like, what's so important about the fat? Well, actually, you know, whenever God gives the law many years down the road, like it was part of the practice to actually take the fat of your offering and burn it on the altar. Abel brings an offering that many would look at and say, Abel, like, you're bringing the best thing. Like, keep that for yourself, man. Like, that's, that's the best of your flock. Let that yield more for your flock. Right? But Abel's like, no. His disposition is that if I want to bring a sacrifice to God that reflects you know, what God has done for me, then it has to cost me something. It has to actually be truly sacrificial 
to me, for it to mean something, right? And that's, that's his heart. That's what he t- really kind of takes the mind of David in 2 Samuel 24, 24. David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing, right? That's his approach. If I give something to God, it has to be costly. It has to actually truly be sacrificial to me. Cain, on the other hand, he brings just some vegetables to God, some grain or, or, or fruits, a mixture of all. And, and the text doesn't really, it, as we said, it doesn't really you know, tell us about the quality, but I mean, I doubt that this is Kroger fresh produce that he's bringing. I wish Marvin were here. He's having cataract surgery this morning. I'll pray for him. Um, <clears throat> but perhaps, perhaps like Cain, he did not give much thought into what he's actually bringing before God. Or perhaps, you know, he's just kind of going through, like, oh, this is what I've done before. You know, God's accepted it before. It'll, it'll work, you know. He'll, he'll give me what I want. Or perhaps, you know, Cain, you know, he, this offering, maybe it was something that was actually costly to him, but he's offering it to God, thinking like, God, like, I'm manipulating to, to get God to give him something that he wants Right? Any of these things could be the reason. And that, maybe that last one is a bit of, of, of a more relatable thing for us, right? I mean, like, in the church, like, we might not necessarily struggle with, with not giving really God, like, like, our full attention, but maybe it's more of, you know, we want, like, God, what can you give me? What can I get out of this relationship with you? God doesn't, God doesn't owe us anything, Right? He gives us good things out of sheer grace. Right, We're saved by sheer grace through faith. God does not owe us a thing. We owe everything back to him. Right? <clears throat> but whatever, the fault, whatever Cain's fault is, whether it's a lack of care, whether it's manipulation, whether it's going through some rote formula to get what he wants, we can trace it back to a heart issue with him, of his heart being in the wrong place before God. And you could say, like, maybe, like, you know, this is just kind of like, you know, speculation, right? We don't actually truly know what's, what's going on here. But, I mean, I, I think we can take a look at Cain's actions, and I think that reveals the darkness within his heart of how the story progresses. So God sees Cain's angry, and what says that, that Cain is actually very angry, right? And in, 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 in the Bible, sometimes the, this very angry is used as an indicator of, of looming evil, especially murder, right? So we can see early on how Cain, he becomes consumed by sin. Cain is, so we could ask, is Cain justified in his anger? Is he, is he just in being angry? No. John, so John actually, he cites this story whenever he writes his first letter. And he says, because his, Cain, own deeds were evil and his brother's, Abel, his are righteous. Right? So Cain is not, he's not justified in being angry. Right? He's not being treated unjustly or unfairly. Right? He's being treated justly for his wrong actions. And rather than, than facing it, like going to God and saying, yes, like I'm angry, I, I did this, I came to you wrongly. I wanted something from you that, I, that was not owed to me, right? I repent of that, and I'm turning back to you. He doesn't do that. He's hardened by his anger, right? And we could say, like, what is the, the object of, of Cain's anger, right? It could be Abel. It could be God. I think more likely it's probably both. 
Cain would be, have been mad at Abel because he got favor or he didn't. Cain would be mad at God because God gave Abel favor and he didn't give it to him. So Cain probably thought God owed him something and he cannot stand to see that Abel is getting that and he isn't. Right? And again, it's the story of sin retold. Adam and Eve deceived into the garden into thinking that God is holding out on us. God owes me something. I need that. Cain deceived in, into being angry over the fact that he didn't get what he thought was owed to him. Like we're two pages into the Bible and it's the same strategy of the enemy. Right? Two pages in. Happens twice. And then God comes to Cain Right in his anger, and God, he comes to Cain is not to provoke him to, to further anger. Right? I mean, like, you know, whenever we're we're in the wrong, right, and our heart's been hardened, we'll often think that, like, oh, you're, you know, you're you're coming at me with this, right? But that's not the case. Or God's not coming to incite any type of anger. He's coming to change Cain's heart. He's coming to change his heart. He's coming to move him from anger to repentance and to keep him from pursuing sin further and acting on his rage. God speaks to Cain in a rhetorical question. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, are you not going to be forgiven? Are you not going to be accepted? He says, look, Cain, you're angry. Why? Figure out why. What's the source of your anger? Like, do some self-examination here. Look, like, are you in the wrong? Who's in the wrong here? <clears throat> he says, if, if you do right, if you pursue what is right, then won't you be forgiven? You will be. And then God tells Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule over you. Its desire is for you. It's the same word there. Whenever God says the desire of a woman is going to be for the man, it's the same word for desire right there. It's, sin's desire is to have you to rule over you, and Cain, you have to master it, and you must not give in to it, right? And so God comes to Cain with forgiveness, right? Offering that to him, offering a way to actually turn from being hardened by sin and to, be, to have the, the opportunity to live in the freedom of forgiveness, right? That's what God is offering Cain. Does Cain take it? No. He doesn't. He refuses forgiveness. He hardens himself. At this point in the story, Cain has yet to act on his anger. But within his anger, he festers. It grows. He simmers in his rage. And rather than mastering his sin, rather than dealing with his anger, he gives in to it. He lets it consume him. Right? And this is where you know, sin masters Cain. And we could use some New Testament language here and say this is where Cain becomes a slave to his sin. He gives it power in his life. He gives over to it. And then Cain, he murders his brother Abel. And some of your translations, there might be, depending on what it is, there might be quotations around something that Cain says to Abel, says, let us go out into the field, right? And some of, some of your translations, mine, it doesn't have that. Uh, that's reason being some manuscripts have that, some don't. The outcome's the same, right? <clears throat> Cain, Cain kills Abel. And some commentators will use this as, and say, look, this is, Cain has thought about this. He's premeditated it. Right? He, he's thought about it. He's planned it out. This wasn't just some action that was like, you know, he did in spur of rage, right? And then he later felt bad about it. No, he planned this. It was premeditated. So then after Cain does this, God, God confronts Cain, 
right? And he, he gives him an opportunity to own up to his actions again, kind of like he did before, after he's even killed his brother. And Cain, so he asks him, Cain, where's your brother at? And Cain just kind of scoffs like, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. And that's really kind of funny because Abel's the keeper of sheep and Cain's like, oh, I'm not my brother's keeper. Who am I to like watch over him and keep, keep him and hover over him, right? <clears throat> and this, isn't, this is really kind of stark contrast to Adam and Eve, right? At least like they kind of own up to their sin a little bit, right? Adam may blame Eve completely, but at least he knows, acknowledges that, like, yeah, we did something wrong. Cain's just like, I didn't do it. So also similar here to Genesis 3, the action of sin incurs a curse of sin. So Cain has to face the consequences of his wrong. So Cain, he's banished from his family and banished from the land. And he's going to have trouble growing things now. He's going to be a, a vagabond, a wanderer in the land as he's banished from his home. And then Cain, he actually complains about these consequences. It's a little bit different from Adam and Eve who just kind of seem to accept it, right? It's like this is just. This is what, we, what we're getting for our disobedience, the penalty of our sin. Cain finds this punishment absolutely intolerable. So this is interesting. The Lord actually protects Cain. He says, Cain, I'm going to protect you so that nobody is going to kill you. Right? He says that whoever kills Cain, vengeance upon that person will be sevenfold, full divine retribution. And so there, there are kind of two ways that we could, we could look at this and take it, right? This could be seen as like, oh, God's, you know, even in his judgment, he's still showing some type of mercy to Cain. Or we could look at it the other way. as like, look, this is God like saying, like, Cain, you have to live out the entirety of your sentence, you have to live in this. So either of those two, and I think there, there's a third thing here too. You can judge between those two, but I think there is this third thing. is that the Lord's protection on Cain actually prevents others from seeking to kill him and therefore prevents further bloodshed in the world. Right? So in a way, God is bridling. He's stifling the spread of sin in his creation. <clears throat> And then we go down to Lamech, right? And his, his poem of really kind of just crude egotism, right? He, he, he recites this to his wives. Ada, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold, right? So he cruelly boasts about how he has killed a young man simply for striking him, simply for hitting him, right? And, he's, and he kind of boasts about it, right? He's just kind of like, oh, well, if Cain's is a seven, sevenfold, then whoever kills me, vengeance is going to be on them 77-fold, right? If you, you thought, you know, the, the punishment for killing Cain was bad, then you haven't seen anything yet. All right, so, okay, that, that was a lot. Let's take, take a few steps back. Let's look at, uh, let's, what do we learn from this? Let's look at that. What do we learn from this? And I think one thing that, that's pretty prevalent here is that sin is not just a problem it is the main problem it is the thing that separates us from God it's the problem that remains today right and we we have and in Christ we have freedom from that sin 
right? So then we have the opportunity, we have the ability to actually choose over sin. We have the ability to choose Christ, to pursue him, to live for him. We don't have to be a slave to sin. We don't have to give in to sin like Cain does, right? And sin in this way, as it always does in this passage, as it always does for us too, it takes a specific form. It takes a specific shape. And here it is revenge, it is retaliation, it is anger. And I think we see this so much in the world today, right? It's really kind of the, the story, like Genesis 4 really could be like a commentary of the modern world, right? Or a story told uh, exemplifying it, right? We have country invading country because this country has what, what they want. We have people lashing out at one another, political parties uh, lashing out at one another, smearing the names uh, of people. And it happens, you know, unfortunately, this is something that does happen in the church from time to time. People will disagree. People will get slandered. You know, you think this way, I think another way about this. So then, you know, what's the, you know, how do we handle that, right? The, 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 the normal thing is to, you know, go on some message board, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, go around and, and, and lash out, cancel you, right? Revenge on you. And that, that that's, way is incredibly common today, and it's the way that, I mean, many of the, you, the young people are being taught to deal with their emotions, and my friends, it's not the way. There's a better way. There's a much better way. To show you, to show you this, <clears throat> an experiment done several years ago, early 2000s, by Kevin uh, Carl Smith uh, to test the effects of actual taking revenge on a person, this, this is what they found. This is from uh, Association of Psychological Sciences. It says, all told, so all the people in the experiment, all told Carl Smith and the company and concluded in 2008 the issue of the pers- a pers- Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. People erroneously believe revenge will make them feel better and help them gain closure when in actuality punishment Punishers, so those taking revenge, ruminate on their deed and feel worse than those who cannot avenge wrong. So revenge, actually taking it makes you feel worse. It actually brings more death into your life. Right? So there's a reason that God says, vengeance is mine. Like we're not supposed to take it. Right? And on a spiritual level, think about what this does to a person, right? A vengeful person who makes this a habit in their life. Right? What, what does this turn us into? Aggressive. We become even more angry. We become callous. We become sad, lonely, dejected. And none of these things are things that really the Spirit of God wants to yield within us. So... What is the, the better way? Don't follow Cain's example. Don't follow Lamech's example. What is the example that we do follow? So John, he goes back to this, and we talked about it in, in, in 1 John 3, verses 11 through 12. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Right? So John, he goes back to this. He looks at it and says, we've known this from the beginning. This is an example of what not to do. Love your brother. Don't hate him. Don't seek revenge on him. Love your brother. And there's a key aspect here of love that is important in every relationship. It's important in our relationship with God, and it's important how we relate to one another on a human level, and it's called forgiveness. Right? There's no way possible that we can be invited into God's love if it's not through forgiveness. He has to forgive us in order for us to experience that love at a fuller extent, right? And if we want to exist in a loving relationship with other people, forgiveness has to exist. Why? Because we're broken people. We're going to make people mad. We're going to hurt each other, right? Forgiveness has to exist. So one of the, one of the reasons here that I told you why God protects Cain was to bridle evil in the world, right, to, to prevent further bloodshed at the time. And I think this, you can disagree with me, that's okay. But I think part of the reason is that Adam and Eve um, will have, a tempor- for temporarily, they'll have a safe time period to, to raise a son named Seth. And then Seth, through Seth, will come Noah, right? And Noah's going to be found righteous in God's eyes. And God saves him from the flood disaster. And then descended from Noah is Abram, who's later named Abraham, because he was brought into covenant with God, a covenant where it says Abraham is going to be favored. He's going to be blessed by God. And Abraham, God promises Abraham, I'm going to use you as a way to bring blessing and favor to the nations, right? And then through Abraham comes Isaac, then Jacob, then Judah, an entire nation called Israel. And then the line continues through David to a man named Jesus, who's born of a virgin by the Spirit of God, right? From Adam to the very Son of God. And then Jesus, he goes around ancient Israel, and he preaches to all who would hear him, repent and be forgiven. He says things like, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, just anger. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's, those are things that he's saying. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies just as he said he would. And some of his last words Luke records in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he perfectly practiced what he preached, didn't he? He rises from the grave in power over sin and death. He conquers over them. And here's what that means. That means that Jesus has made a way for us to experience forgiveness, to be invited into that and have freedom in God's love. He took the punishment that we deserve for sin, that our sin has earned us, right? And God, he comes to Cain in a similar way and says, Cain, there's forgiveness available for you if you choose it. And he hardens his heart. Don't be like Cain. Live in the freedom of forgiveness. Right? Put sin away from you and be forgiven. And Jesus, first and foremost, our Lord and Savior, he also sets forth for us an example. So Peter comes and asks Jesus in Matthew 18, 21. says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? as many as seven times? Then Jesus replies with this, I do not say to you that seven, seven times, but 77 times. Right? This is in direct contrast to what Lamech says. Vengeance be on the person who takes my life. 77-fold. Jesus says forgiveness 77-fold. 
So this is the way that Jesus, he's called us to live, right? A life of forgiveness made possible by the forgiveness that he has bought for us. So don't seek to be like Cain. Don't seek to be like Lamech. But live in the way that Jesus has taught us to live. Forgiveness and accepting forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story, Lord, that we can look at and we can study, we can, we can, we can, we can pick it apart and, and see the truth and the wisdom that's been preserved over the years, Lord, in your word. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you, God for the, the forgiveness that has been bought and showed to us through the gospel, Lord, the model of how we ought to forgive others. So, Lord, help us to go. Therefore, as the church, as the people of Getwell and DeSoto County, Lord, to, to live as people who have been forgiven and offering forgiveness to those. Lord, for that is the way to live in freedom, Lord, is to be forgiven, Lord. Not to have revenge, Lord, but to seek forgiveness, to seek restoration. Lord, help us to trust in you and know that you are just and that you are holy and that you do not look over evil, Lord, and help us to go and make much of the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.